are going to let uh, Cornerstone Kids be dismissed. And the rest of us get to turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 18 through actually only 23 today. I planned on getting through verse 32, but uh, there's too much good stuff and too much introductory stuff that we need to focus on here. So if you haven't done so, please turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 1. And we're going to begin at verse 18 in a little, little bit here. As you're turning, I, I just want to kind of present an idea to you, an idea that I think fits our text today, in fact, fits uh, the next several chapters in Romans, and uh, I think it's an idea that, that's pretty legit, and it's basically this, it's, it's, it's the idea that the, the weight of bad news helps to enhance the glory of good news, right? The, the weight of the bad news that we might receive uh, often will enhance or amplify the, the, the good news that we receive. You know, like, like uh, uh, well, I'll tell you, I, I was, uh, because uh, Mona and I got to go back to Atlanta when, uh, when Tripp was being adopted, and, and we were going to be there before he was born, but the little stinker came early, and so we got there after he was born. Um, but nonetheless, we got to go back. Well, coming home, I needed to be home, and, and so I got my airplane ticket to come home by myself. <laughs> and of course, the morning I left, they found out that they could leave then too, and so I missed them by a day. But nonetheless, we, uh, I came home, and, and I had this flight from Atlanta, and I hated doing this, but I flew into Denver. Now, every time I've flown into Denver, which I don't fly very much, but maybe two or three other times I've flown into Denver, and I have hated flying into Denver. And this turned out to be no exception. <laughs> we get on the plane in, in Atlanta. I get on the plane, and, and of course I got the last few seats, so I'm stuck in the middle seat of three seats, so that wasn't fun. But then on top of that, we, we pull out, and we kind of get onto the tarmac, and then we sit and we sit, and we sit, and sit, and nobody's saying anything over the intercom, we're just sitting there, and I'm looking at my watch, because I had 53-minute layover in Denver, and I know I've been on the train in Denver, and sometimes it's hard to find out where we're supposed to go, I didn't know what gates, I was thinking, oh no, oh no, here we go, and we're sitting there, and we're sitting there, and we're sitting there, probably about 20 minutes later, the, the plane starts to taxi off again, and we we take off, and we get up in the air, and we, you know, get high enough, and it goes, bing, or whatever that noise it makes, you know, and all of a sudden, the captain comes on, and he says this. Here's what he says. He goes, ladies and gentlemen, today I have some good news and some bad news. I mean, literally, he said that, and I'm thinking, oh, no, what does this mean? And so he started with the good news. He says, the good news is we're up in the air. We got smooth skies, at least until we get near Denver. That's what he said, but that was good news. We got smooth skies until we get to Denver. And he says, we're, we're going to level out here soon. You're going to get served, and that's the good news. And I'm thinking, well, that's not that great a news. But then he goes, but i got to give you the bad news. He says, the bad news is we were, they were wanting to delay us for an hour and a half there on the tarmac. He said, but we did some fancy talking, and we were able to get off sooner than that. 
But he says, we have to be redirected. And I'm thinking, oh no, we're going to a different city. And he says, actually, instead of coming in from the whatever direction we were coming in, we were going to come in a different direction. So it may, So here's what he said. Okay, we've sat there 20 minutes on the tarmac. And he says, so because we're coming in from this different direction, we're going to add 29 or 27 minutes to our flight. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I only have 53 minutes. We sat there 20 minutes. He says, I got more good news for you. And I'm like, okay, let's hear this. He goes, our flight was scheduled to be 20 minutes early. But now we're scheduled to be 20-some minutes late. I'm thinking, oh boy. And so we get going, and there's the good news and the bad news. We get going, we, we get close to Denver, and I could tell because the plane started doing this, you know, and it felt like my stomach was... Anyway, and, and, and then he comes on the intercom, and he goes, ladies and gentlemen, the reason why we were going to be delayed is because there were thunderstorms that are moving through Denver, and some of them haven't cleared out yet, and so we've yet been redirected again to a different side of Denver to come in that way where the thunderstorms aren't. So a little more bad news, we're going to add five more minutes to the flight. And I am just, I'm freaking, because I'm looking at my watch and I'm realizing I don't have much time. And I'm thinking maybe, maybe the good news is, although he never said this, is that flights are going to be delayed in light of this same thunderstorm. And uh, so we get on the ground. I get my phone out and I got the app. Thank God for apps, right? I got the app and I find out what gate we're coming in. We're coming in B46. That's the gate we're going to land in. My next flight is at B21, and I'm going, yes, it's, same, it's on the same concourse or whatever you call that thing. It's in the same area, but it's just like, you know, a few flights down, like 25 flights down, and I'm thinking in my mind, that's easy. <laughs> it would have been easier if I was 20 years old, but I am no longer 20 years old, and I found that rather quickly as I start running with my backpack on through the airport, and I maybe get a hundred yards, <laughs> and I honestly went over to a gas or a garbage can because I thought I'm going to throw up. <laughs> I didn't, so I kept walking and tried to run as much as I could. But that that was a long 25. Uh, what do you call them? You know, gates. That was long. And I finally get there thinking I just made it because it said the gates are going to close at, at like 646 or whatever. And I got, we, I got out of the plane at, at uh, uh, 630. And so I thought, okay, I got time. It says 11 minutes to get there on the, my little app. That was a bunch of baloney. But anyway, I got there before the gates should have closed. I run to the front of the line and I have my, my ticket out. And, and the guy's like, well, we haven't started boarding yet, sir. I ran through the airport for nothing. My wife, on the other hand, I hate that. That stresses, stresses me out. It's, I'm surprised I didn't have a heart attack. My wife, on the other hand, loves that. But it didn't happen to them. Anyway, nonetheless, I got way off on my story. Good news, bad news. The, 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 the pilot came on, got good news, got bad news, which both, in my opinion, were bad news. But nonetheless, Good news, bad news. My, my point is this, that, that, that most often the, the weight, the heaviness of the bad news enhances or amplifies the joy of the good news. I got another example for you real quick, and it's a matter of prayer, and it's a, 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 something that we can do as a church family. Uh, AJ and Jess Noonan 
Uh, they got some bad news this week. They went away, came back, and their house was completely flooded. Water all over the place. That's the bad news. The good news is, Jess gets new floors, right? <laughs> right, Jess? <laughs> Didn't want it to happen that way. But here's where we can help. We want to pray for them because, listen, they've got, they've got five kids, two, two of their own. They're fostering three. Um, they got a house full, and, and they got some needs there. So we want to definitely pray for them. And then if you have boxes, they need to box up things so they can move everything out and get the old stuff out and the new stuff in. So if, if you have that, would you, Jess and, Jess and, and AJ, AJ, would you, AJ has no problem talking to you, so go talk to AJ. Don't talk to Jess. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, Jess. Anyway, yeah, help them out with that. But, but there's this good news, good news, bad news. And uh, man, I've taken a long time here, but, but the point of it is, we get to now start in a section of Romans that is full of bad news. It's full of, from chapter 1, verse 18, on through about 3, chapter 3, verse 20, we have nothing but bad, bad news. And in fact, to be even more specific, it's all concerning the wrath of God. Bad news. But here's the sweet thing about it. Because if we give ourselves over to this time where we just look at this bad news, the weight of this bad news is going to help amplify the joy of the good news when we get to the end of this section. When we start realizing that, that now it's faith that brings the righteousness of God to the believer, that becomes all the more joyful, all the more wonderful, all the more magnificent, because we have, over these next several weeks, given ourselves over to the bad news, namely the wrath of God. So some people don't like the idea of focusing on the wrath of God. Some here maybe even are saying, well, Pastor Jeff, you have talked so much about the love of God. You have, ever since you came back from sabbatical, you've talked about love strong. You've talked about how much God loves us. God loves each one of us. And, and I'd much rather talk about that than the wrath of God. But I want to tell you, we will not fully appreciate the love of God until we fully understand the wrath of God. Some will say, listen, I don't believe there is the wrath of God. I don't believe that, that God is a wrathful God. In fact, some in our day would say, God is a loving God. And if God is a loving God, then how could he ever have wrath? How could he ever send people to hell? Others would even take it a step further and say, in light of God being a loving God, how in the world could he ever kill his own son on the cross? One popular writer today, none, and I kid you not, has, has talked about this idea of substitutionary atonement, which means Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin. He was a substitute on our behalf. He died for our sin. One popular writer today has said that is nothing more than divine child abuse because we don't like talking about the wrath of God. And so today, our, our day is a, is a day when we've actually set ourselves up as the judge and put God on trial, put on his character on trial. Is he really a, a loving God? Or if he's a loving God, then he shouldn't be a wrathful God. And we, we say, how can this happen? How can it be? But again, we must recognize there is this wrath of God because when we do, it will help us appreciate and, 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 and marvel in the love of God and what he has done for us on the cross. In fact, I, I, I 
want to look to John MacArthur here. He says, he says this about, about this wrath and, and, and understanding these things. He says, a person cannot appreciate the wonder of God's grace until he knows about the perfect demands of God's law. And he cannot appreciate the fullness of God's love for him until he knows something about the fierceness of God's anger against his sinful failure to perfectly obey that law. He cannot appreciate God's forgiveness until he knows about the eternal consequences of the sins that require a penalty and need forgiving. And so, yes, church, over these next several, and I don't know how many, I used to think I knew how many, but I've I've given up (laughs) because I get studying and it's like, I got to share this and we're going to take more time. But over the next several Sundays, we are going to focus in on specifically the righteous wrath of God, his judgment that is being revealed currently and ultimately one day will be finally revealed on all sin and, yes, all unrepentant sinners. But Paul does that to show us the, good, the bad news so that the good news is all the more good. Okay? Would you pray with me and let's start in. Father, we thank you so much that it does not stop at this bad news. We thank you that, that, God, this bad news is the reason why there is good news, that you have loved us and you have demonstrated your love on the cross for us. And in chapter 5, we read that. But, Father, we also recognize why you needed to do that, because your wrath must be poured out on sin. And so, Father, help us. Help us to understand that. Help us to see that. I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would, would guide us into your word today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And I'm going to stop there this morning. What I want us to see first is is a few truths about the wrath of God, because I, I think we need some clarification, we need some understanding. It's a, it's a doctrine we don't like to discuss much, and so I felt it necessary for us to slow down a bit here. And there's some things that I want us to understand about the wrath of God. And the first is this, God's wrath is real. You cannot deny it. I mean, you could but you wouldn't be reading the same Bible that we have in front of us today. God's wrath is real. And notice Paul is very uh, pointed here. He does not say it's the wrath of, of evil or it's the wrath of some other person. He makes very clear, abundantly clear, this is divine wrath. This is God's wrath. Notice he starts out and says, this is the wrath of God. And if you didn't 
agree with that, if you didn't get that, he points it out even further because he says it's being revealed from heaven. There's, there's, there's a double emphasis there. This is God's wrath revealed from heaven, the place where God resides. This is divine wrath, and it is real, the Apostle Paul is saying. He, he is saying it, it's real, and, and it's not the only time we read about the wrath of God. In fact, Isaiah 9, verse 19, Isaiah says, Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land is scorched, and the people are like fuel for the fire. No one spares another. And again, the prophet Jeremiah in 720 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place, upon man and beast, upon the trees of the field and the fruit of the ground. It will burn and not be quenched. And some might be quick to say, Oh, but that's Old Testament. Yeah, God was an angry, wrathful God in the Old Testament, but that's not so anymore in the New Testament. <laughs> Let me prove you wrong, because the Apostle John, in a commentary in John chapter 3, verse 36, he says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Listen, but the wrath of God remains on him. The word wrath that is translated here is used in Scripture 298 times. 298 times. Of those 298 times, 223 of them are in direct reference to God Himself, God's wrath. I would say that's pretty legit, wouldn't you? God's wrath is real. And it's shared with us 223 times in, in the pages of Scripture. But what does it mean when we talk about the wrath of God? Because you and I, we get this human understanding of wrath. See, human wrath can be oh so wrong. Can't it? See, it can be very emotional. It can be very selfish. It can be, it, it can be something that you fly off the handle about and then regret later on when we talk about human wrath, right? It, it is not very secure. It's, not very, it, it's, it's one of those things that we just go, that's a, that's a negative term today. But I want to tell you, the wrath of God is not selfish. It's not a selfish burst of rage because someone cut him off while driving, God's wrath is not an emotional and uncontrolled temper tantrum. It's not an irrational outburst that seeks revenge. It's not a cruel and harsh burning within that wants someone to pay for what they did. Here's a definition of the wrath of God. It's God's personal indignation toward human sinfulness. Now, we're going to build on this, so if you're missing some words that you think should be in there, you can object now. But hold on, we're going to get there. It is God's personal indignation toward human sinfulness. It is a real thing. And it is His, his anger at sin. His anger at sin. And what we need to understand is, is when God looks at sin, He is not neutral. Because let's understand something very clearly. The opposite of wrath is not love. You might be thinking, what? No, listen, think with me for a moment. The opposite of wrath is indifference. It's neutrality. If I didn't care about that, I wouldn't be upset. 
So if I'm indifferent, if I'm apathetic toward it, if I have neutral desires or wishes or wants, then I will not be wrathful. And here's what we're saying. God is not neutral about sin. That's what we're saying. God has personal indignation toward human sinfulness. And so what we need to understand is, is his wrath is real. First, or 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7b through 10 says this. Listen to this. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and so on. I want you to see something there. The wrath of God is real. God's wrath is real. And so we might say now, okay, God's wrath is real, but now the next question that might be popping into minds is this. So then are we saying that God is an angry God? That he's a mean God? That he's, that he's up in heaven looking down with his arms crossed and his, he's looking down his nose with a scowl on his face and his forehead is all wrinkled up and he's just waiting for us to blow it so he can go, ha, pour out my wrath. Is that where we're saying God is? No. Because the second thing we need to understand is God's wrath is righteous. It is a righteous wrath. And if I could define righteous to you, I would say it's just being in a position of absolute right. So God is right in His wrath. God's wrath is righteous. And why do I say that? Two things. Number one, it's based on God's character god's character is righteous absolutely god is love we talked about that a couple weeks ago god is love but he's equally righteous and that means that in his righteousness he is completely love but also in his love he is completely righteous they work together together they are both equal in amount that God has, and He has them fully. He is fully love. He is fully righteous. Therefore, he, His wrath has to be righteous. In fact, I would submit to these two verses that I know you've been memorizing, right? Okay, I'm going to let you off the hook this week. Okay, yeah, card. Thank you. I handed out these cards a couple weeks ago, and I encourage you to put them on your mirror or wherever so you can memorize, because this is the theme of Romans right here. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, and I want you to memorize those. But notice verse 17, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. See, God is righteous, therefore, based on who he is, his wrath is righteous, Okay? but also based upon the unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. Because go back with me, chapter 1, verse 18, and what does he say? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This righteousness, it is, or excuse me, God's wrath is righteous because of who he is, but also because of who we are, unrighteous, ungodly, 
And so a, a, a gentleman by the name of Brendan Byron, in his commentary on Romans, he puts it this way. I love this. He says, the sense of divine wrath is bound up with the biblical conception of a personal God whose dealings with humankind are attended by an intense moral will. The wrath of God blazes out when that will, and specifically the love that lies behind it, is thwarted by human pride, rebellion, obstinacy, or disloyalty. In other words, his wrath is righteous based upon who humankind is. And he describes it here, doesn't he? He describes it here. God's wrath is real. God's wrath is righteous, and he's going to prove that in the next several chapters. But for today, let's leave it there and go to the final and third thought that I want to expound on a bit this morning. And that is this. God's wrath is fiercely opposed to all who exchange God's glory for anything else. It's the horrific exchange. When someone exchanges God's glory for anything else, God's wrath is right there. It fiercely opposes this. So certainly those who bear the wrath of God are unrighteous and ungodly, but what makes them so? Why are they unrighteous? Why are they ungodly? Because they have exchanged the glory of who God is and they put something else or someone else on the throne. They've exchanged the glory. It's the horrific exchange. And so let's look at it. Let's look at this statement. It's the God's wrath that is fiercely, fiercely opposed to all who exchange God's glory for anything else. And they are described here by Paul for us so that we come to understand what that looks like. And the first thing is they suppress the truth. Notice what verse 18 says, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I think it's very good that we look at these terms because as we look at what it means to exchange the glory of God for anything else, I think what we're going to discover is this is a huge description of our day in which we live. And the first, the first idea of exchanging God's glory is that they, they suppress the truth. The idea of suppress is the idea of put down. So it's not that they don't know the truth, as he will point out. It's not that they don't have the truth. It's not that they have, don't have access to the truth. It's that they ignore it, or they hear it, and they put it down. They, they, they walk on it. They, they leave it alone. It's the idea of doing that, and, and they suppress the truth. And don't we see that today? People who stifle, who stifle any truth that challenges their behavior... They reject any truth that calls into question their lifestyle. They put down any truth that goes against their opinions, their choices, their personal wishes. They hold up these things over and above any other truth. What's truth to them is their own personal truth, and they don't allow any other truth in, even, even when it is God who is there. Even when it's God's truth, they put it down. And we have that in our culture today, brothers and sisters, all over the place. And I would submit to you, we have that in churches today as well. They suppress the truth. But notice he goes on and says they, they, they know God. They know God. People have asked, 
well, what about so-and-so, this tribe that's way out in the unreached areas of this remote jungle? They've never heard about Jesus. Well, can we really expect God to send them to hell? At the end of what we're going to say here, Paul says they are without excuse. I don't hear many amens there, do I? It's hard to say, brothers and sisters. It's hard to say. But I cannot get away from it in this passage. The Apostle Paul is talking about those people who do not have the Old Testament law. And yet he says, they know God. Why do they know God? Notice, first of all, because God has made himself known to them. What does he say, verse 19? For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. In other words, brothers and sisters, we need to recognize something here. God is not playing hide-and-go-seek. He's not taking truth about who He is and, and hiding it somewhere and making us look high and low. Some people wish that were the case because then they could make up their own God, but that's not the case. The Scripture tells us He has revealed Himself to mankind. Now, I would submit to you what Paul is saying here is He hasn't revealed perhaps the idea of how to be saved. But he's talked about this idea here of general, what we call general revelation. There's general revelation and there's special revelation. Special revelation is what we have right here in the Bible. The Bible is God's direct revelation to mankind. And in the Bible, we know without a shadow of doubt how to come to know Jesus Christ. We know what Christ has done for us. We know who He is. We know how to put our faith and trust in Him. And we know what happens as a result of that. We have that because of special revelation. But what Paul is talking about here is what we call general revelation, and that is all of creation. All of creation. He says, For what can be known about God, verse 19, is plain to them, because God has shown it to them, for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. In other words, all one needs to do, the Apostle Paul says, is look at creation, and you will get a sense that there is a God true it's true and he says first of all god has has revealed it to us through his creation i remember as a as a middle schooler now some of you are like whoa you were in middle school once did you guys drive in cars we did but even then i tell you we had no clue about cell phones had no clue except for looking back the Jetsons was prophetic, wasn't it? That was a prophetic cartoon show. It was crazy. But here we are. We're talking FaceTime, you know, and there, sure enough, there's Face. Anyway, anyway, nonetheless, that's beside the point. When I was in middle school, I had grown up in the church. I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, given my life to Him at the age of five years old. And all I knew was being in the church. All I knew and was told was that there is a God. But in middle school, I started going through this period in which I would say I started to own the faith as my own personal faith. And I remember initially wrestling with this question, is there really even a God? I mean, I've been told my whole life that there is a God, but is there really even a God? And I, 
I'm so glad that my parents were the parents that made me be at church. Even when I didn't want to. Parents, listen. They made me be at church even when I didn't want to because one time while I was at church, our youth leader read this passage to us. Psalm 19, which starts out, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them He has sent a head for the sun. And He goes on. But listen, I heard that. And my mind in middle school all of a sudden went, There is a God! Because I love to be outdoors. My grandpa taught me to, a love for outdoors at a young age. And I realized, man, I cannot look at creation and somehow say there is no God. And that's what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 1. People are without excuse. They can know God if they will look at creation. Specifically, they can know two things about God. His eternal power and His divine existence. His eternal power and His divine nature. He is, he is eternal in power. See, I look at, the, at, at creation and I marvel. I, we, we were, uh, uh, before we left, uh, you remember this, but before we left to go to Atlanta, there was this rainstorm. Remember? It was on a Saturday because I remember just being amazed. And, and the sky was just this pinky, pinkish looking, purple, I don't know even how to describe that color. Some of you who are artsy probably know the exact name. Rachel, do you know the name? Didn't mean to put her on the spot. But none, nonetheless, and then all of a sudden we see this double rainbow right in the backyard. It was incredible. Our family, Keenan and Courtney, were still in Atlanta, and that Saturday was a hard day. It was the Saturday that baby, baby Trip was born. And it was a struggle of a day. It was, it was like, okay, is mom going to want him back? Are our kids really going to get him? It was, a, it was a really hard day. And all of a sudden, the power of God is revealed in the skies. And the double rainbow reminded our family, because this happened a long time ago with my father-in-law, who ended up being diagnosed with cancer. And at that same time, we saw a double rainbow. And he turns to us and he goes, what does the double rainbow mean? God is faithful. And so here we were that Saturday night, and the sky was crazy color and there's this double rainbow and in the midst of all the turmoil going on over in Atlanta where we were helpless to do anything God is reminding us I'm faithful nonetheless you 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 can't look at those things you can't you can't watch a thunderstorm and lightning storm you you can't experience an earthquake or or see the effects of a tornado or or a tsunami and go wow God is pretty weak no, you have to go, this is a powerful God, right? And so Paul is saying, general revelation, creation at least reveals to us how powerful God is. But then he also says it also shows us his divine nature in that he is ultimately above and beyond any human mind. Isn't that what God says? My ways are not your ways. My thoughts, not your thoughts. They're higher than yours. And so if you just think about creation and, and, and you recognize some truths, you have to recognize the divine nature that is in creation. And you have to say, yes, nature is amazing, but that points to an amazing creator. 
Yes, the design is incredible, but the designer is out of this world, right? When you stop and consider just the earth itself, the planet that we are currently on, it is 25,000 miles in circumference. It weighs, now I don't even know how many zeros this is, so I'm, I'm getting this off uh, another uh, commentator, but it weighs 6 septillion, 588 sextillion tons. Any teachers know how many zeros that is? It's a lot, I'm sure. And it spins at 1,000 miles an hour. Listen, we're rotating at 1,000. You're going 1,000 miles an hour. Sweet. And what's amazing is we don't fall off and our hair doesn't even get messed up. Right? That's pretty cool. But here's the deal. It points to the divine nature of our creator God. His ways are higher than our ways. The creation reveals to us how wise and how powerful this creator God is. It may not reveal specialized revelation how we can come to know him through Jesus Christ. That's in the word of God and that's what Paul will get to. But he's saying, listen, everyone everywhere, no matter how remote of a village they live in, they can look at creation and at least say there's a God. And I believe in my whole heart that when they do that, and when they seek after the God of creation who is all-powerful and all-wise, God will meet them. And He will reveal to them truth about His Son, Jesus. I don't deny that. I believe that wholeheartedly. But the problem is, most don't. Because, see, here's what our steps are. And i got to get going here. I know I'm having too much fun. But they know God. But here's the sad truth. Even though they know God, they do not honor Him or give thanks to Him. They don't honor Him or give thanks to Him. They don't, they don't honor Him. They don't give thanks to God. Instead, there are those who reject the notion of God's existence altogether. There are those who, 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 who would maybe see that there is God, but they want to make God who they want Him to be instead of seeking Him for who He really is. There are those who, who instead of, 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 of even uh, believing that God is, is someone that they could know, they say, well, he exists, but he doesn't make himself known to us. But yes, he does, doesn't he? Isn't that what the scripture says? He's revealed himself. And so they, they, they know God, but they don't honor him or give thanks to him for this incredible creation. And instead, it goes a step further. They worship the creation instead of the creator. Notice what it says. For although, verse 21, they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Dear church, this is why God's wrath is righteous. Because of the description of humanity. They know God, but they don't honor God. And furthermore, they don't worship the Creator. They worship creation. They totally ignore God. And the idea is they exchange that glory of God for who He really is. They exchange it for the futile 
and darkened ways of man. In other words, they take God off the throne and put themselves on the throne. I would say that's the biggest issue we have. I would tell you, I wholeheartedly believe that pride is the root of all sin. And pride means that I don't glorify God as God. I want myself to be glorified as God. Pride means that it's all about me. It's not about him. It's all about me. It's about him when it's convenient and it helps me out. Then it can be about him, but it's mostly about me. See, the great exchange that goes on in the heart of mankind is what brings down God's wrath. See, God is God. There is no other. And as God, He and He alone is worthy of glory. Amen? No one else. Nothing else. And God cannot allow His glory to be substituted for that which is futile, that which is darkened, and therefore His wrath is poured out. And what Paul is going to say now, what Paul is going to eventually say is even though especially you get to chapter 2, even though you might think you're better than someone else, guess what? (laughs) You're in the same boat. You're in the same boat because we all do it as human beings. We all have a propensity to put ourselves on the throne. We all have a desire to have it my way. We all want it to be all about me. And and it happens. So Paul's going to say that, but here's the deal. It's God's wrath that is fiercely opposed to all those who exchange God's glory for anything else. And so I ask you today, what are you exchanging God's glory for in your life? Maybe it's happiness. Maybe you're thinking today, God wants me to be happy. Show me in Scripture. God wants you to be holy. That's why Jesus died on the cross for your sins so that you can ultimately be holy. He wants you to live righteously, absolutely. He wants you to follow him, and not because he's a killjoy, but because he wants you to experience abundant life. But he doesn't want you to be happy. Some people say, well, God wants me to be wealthy. No! Some people say, well, God wants me to be healthy. Absolutely not. See, here's what I do know. Jesus himself says, in this world, you will have tribulation. Okay? So it's not about happiness. It's not about healthiness. It's not about wealthiness. See, it's about allowing God to have his rightful place in my life and not exchanging him for someone or something else. See, that's what bears the righteous wrath of God and while many of us in this place have put our faith and trust in Jesus and the good news is this his wrath no longer abides (laughs) see I'm giving you a touch of the good news here okay but the truth is we still struggle don't we I have to confess I struggle I have to confess with you that so many times each and every moment of each and every day my pride creeps up And I want things my way. And I get mad because they're not going my way. And I get upset with Mona because she's not doing it my way. And I get upset with other people in the church because, no, this is the way it it needs to be my way. And pride creeps up. See, and here's what I want to encourage us with today. I want to encourage us to notice creation. 
to enjoy creation, but to not worship creation and instead worship the Creator. Don't worship creation. Worship the Creator. Enjoy creation. Marvel at how, glor- how glorious creation is, but allow it to be pointed to the one behind it all and give Him glory. But secondly, I would encourage you today, in myself as well, that if there are things in my life or your life that, are, that we've exchanged God's glory for, now's the time to confess it to Him. And some of us, that might mean just simply confessing. Some, that might mean turning to Jesus Christ as the only way to salvation. So would you pray with me as we close? Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the get bad news. Thank you, Father, for waking us, waking us up to the truth of your wrath, that it is real and that it is righteous because it's based upon your character and it is poured out upon all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. Thank you that we are hearing this bad news so that when we hear that what you have done through the cross of your son Jesus on our behalf will make us all that much more amazed by the good news. So Lord, I I pray for people in this place today. I pray for myself. I, I pray for someone in this place right now who maybe has not ever put their faith in Jesus Christ, who has never come to that point where they have admitted that their sins have kept them from you and that there's nothing they can do about it and that Jesus is the only way and his death on the cross and resurrection and putting their trust in him is the only way. And, and Father, if somebody is here this day who is in that position, I pray that your Holy Spirit would tug at their heart. And dear friend, if that's you, open up the door of your heart and just simply confess, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of your salvation, God. I invite Jesus into my life. But Father, there are some of us in this place who have been Christians for years and years and years and years. And some of this news that we're hearing, this bad news, is old news. So Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit right now, you will reignite in us how critical this is. And Father, I pray that we would be serious about anything in our lives, even as followers of Jesus, that replaces your glory that replaces you as the supreme ruler in our lives. And brothers and sisters, take time right now and confess it. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your gracious, merciful love that is enhanced by your wrath. In Jesus' name.